Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul Two. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stella. And what I didn't say, or I should have said it during the announcements, is that uh, children are not dismissed. They're going to stay around for the service, so uh, thank you for that. Um, is there anything that you want to do before you die? I know it's a weird question to ask, but what are the things that you have determined to say to yourself, I need to do this before I die? I like to plan vacations for my family. It's one of the joys I get to have. But if you go to the travel blogs, you always find these articles saying 20 places you have to visit before you die. You know, you need to go here and here and here. Or 20 experiences you need to do before you die. Uh, Parasailing, hang gliding, uh, base jumping. And some of you are already saying (laughs) people who do that are the people who want to go and die because that's not something I want to do. But there's, what, what, for you, what is it that, that you want to do before you die? My wife wants to see the Northern Lights before she dies. Um, what is it for you? Uh, our culture says you get to decide what that is. You get to determine what's best for you, that, the things that you need to do so that you can have peace in your life, so that you can be done. And, and that was supposed to be a freeing move when, when secular culture moved in that direction. And yet, here we are, we're running around, we're trying out different things, we're getting all these experiences, we're hopping from one to another. And what, what's ironic, I think, is what's supposed to be free feels a lot like, not like freedom, does it, as well? Our text today shows us a man who's ready to die because it says that he's done everything he's wanted to do, or that he needed to do, and now he's ready. And so what I want to do today, briefly, is I want to look at our context. I want to compare it to his context. I want to compare and contrast his life with our own. I'm going to do it in three parts. Let's look at how Christmas is not what you really want. Let's look at how Christmas is what you need, and then what will bring that about. 
So just three things. What, Christmas is not what you really want. Christmas is what you need. And then what will bring that about? First, Christmas is not what you really want. Some of you are like, oh, how do you know that? I, want, I love Christmas. Look at the text. This is the moment when baby Jesus is only a few weeks old, and he is brought to the temple and, and meets Simeon. I don't think he was being brought to meet Simeon, but Simeon's there. And it says in verse 25 that this man Simeon had been waiting around for the consolation of Israel. And that, you say, what's that about? Well, this is a reference to Israel being restored back to glory. Because what had been going on in Jesus' time is that the Romans had conquered Israel. They were ruling them. They were oppressing them. And he's saying, when is this evil going to be fixed? When is this going to be over? And God had not spoken to these people directly in 400 years. If, if you, a little Bible, Bible trivia, the last book written in the Old Testament, the most recent one, was the book of Malachi. And at this point, it had been 400 years well, the last time God had spoken to reveal, to be present, to talk about his nearness and his relationship to his people, and that hadn't happened in a long time, and yet now in verse 26, an amazing thing happened. The Holy Spirit speaks. God speaks and reveals to Simeon that he would see the Lord's Messiah before he dies. And so now he's in the temple, and in walks Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and somehow, I guess... Because of the Holy Spirit, he knew that this is the one he was waiting for. And immediately, he breaks into song. Simeon took, this is verse 20, he took him into his arms and praised God. And then the, the, way, the reason why the verses change here is because that's a song. It's a poem. And it says what? It says, this, this is what you've promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now I can die in peace, right? That's the next thing. For now, now dismiss your servant in peace. It's a colloquialism for to be let go. Simeon's song, and this is what I want to say to us, I think Simeon's song is a challenge to all of us because he sees Jesus, he sees Christmas, and he says, whatever else happens in my life, I'm good to go. I'm ready. And I want to know, and, I, and I, when I read this, I kept reading over and over again, I asked myself, well, is that how I feel? Is that actually my posture? Is that, is that how I think. Is that our response to Christmas? So imagine this. Imagine somebody was going to write a book about you in the future. Is, would there be a chapter that talked about how Christmas was an orienting um, principle in your life? Would Christmas be a, a feature in how your life was described, about how you lived out your life? Sarah and I went to go see Merrily We Roll Along on Broadway a few weeks ago. It's a musical about three friends, but it's told in reverse chronological order. So it starts at the end, about, at the end, you know, about their adult lives, and then the scenes going forward all keep going backwards and backwards in time to show you the events that happened in their lives to bring them to who they were. And what I found interesting and I did, was that each one of them had a different definition of success. And because of their different definition of success, that made them have different decisions in their life. So one person's, uh, their success in life was to have a family. Another person, their success was to have a love interest. Another person, all they wanted was the applause. They wanted uh, the uh, approval. And so they sing a song called It's a Hit, where this, they sing about this applause, that the thing that they've been waiting for the whole life is that. And yet they grappled with 
this applause because they all wanted a different type of one, and it, it fractures their friendships, and it leads to more loneliness. Which then had me asking myself, what are the things, what's the applause I've been looking for that as I'm going for it, it's breaking me? And I'm going to ask you the same question. What's the applause that you're doing that you're looking and seeking for, but it, it's, is it enough, and will it be enough? For me, I, when I, it started with applause with grades. I wanted grades, and once I got grades, uh, uh, then I, th- those are good, great, check. Then I wanted a relationship. Okay, got a relationship, check. Okay, then I wanted success in, in work. And, I, and, then, and now I'm, I'm at the age where now the key is, how do you get success but have the, the work-life balance where you don't burn out and be healthy and have that, you know, um, that balanceness? And each time, I think we, what, what's happening is, is whatever we define as success, if we get it, it just, it just changes, which I think is actually just another way of saying it's never enough. See, I, everybody in this room, I think, is the same in one, in one way. It's, it's this, is we want to be celebrated. We want to feel affirmation. We want the praise. We want the applause. And yet it's never enough. And so we move from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And I want to ask us, before we move on, is this. is like, do you see that about yourself? What is that thing or things for you? That's your hope, that's your comfort, that's, your, that's the, the approval. Because uh, I, I want us to at least admit that Christmas is not what you really want. Not at the end of the day. You want it as like over here, but you don't want it at the depths of your realities. For seeming it was. Right? He wanted, it said what? He wanted the Messiah. And the Messiah, by the way, is just the, the Hebrew alliteration. The Greek word Messiah for our text is actually the word Christos, right? It's Christ, Christmas, Christmas. He wanted Christmas. At the end of the day, that's what he really wanted. But is that what you really want? Because I don't think it is. Not ultimately. And so will we see that? Will we at least admit it? That whether you're a Christian or not here today, that deep, deep down, it's not what we want. Now, that's number one. So number two, you might not want it, but we, it's what we need. Go back to our text. Simeon wants the consolation, right, of Israel. That word consolation, I, I did a Greek word study. It's the word parakalesis. Parakalesis, para, means come alongside. He wants that which will comfort him. He wants the comfort of Israel. He wants the, the one who's going to redeem and, and fix and remake and be with you. And so that's a nice idea, right? To have, oh, I would love that, to have Jesus come alongside me and help me along and fix my problems. That sounds great. But as you keep reading, then look at verse 34 and 35. There's all this other stuff that's going on. What, what's all this other stuff about this child is going to lead to the falling and rising of many? Or what's all this stuff about that he's going to be rejected or, or and, and a, this per, you know, he's going to be the sword that pierces your side. See, that all sounds kind of negative, right? We all love the idea of Christmas of peace on earth and yay, come alongside the comforter, the parakalesis, but what about all this other stuff? How do we, what do we do with this? And I, I, I'm trying to put myself in Mary's shoes. Mary, up until this point, all she heard about Jesus was like, He's, gonna, he's the, the, one that, the one that has been long looked for and all this great stuff. But this is the first time she's being told, actually, there's going to be all, a lot of negative things that are happening too. And, and, and what happens is, is that she brings him to the, um, the temple and Simeon looks at him and says, your child's going to be hated and cause strife. 
What would you do if that happened to you? What if you brought your child to church and somebody at church looks at your child and goes, this child's going to bring strife and, and hurt. How would you feel? But then, but then you have to say, well, wait a second. How does Jesus grow up? What, what happens as he gets older, as he starts his adult ministry, he goes back to his hometown, Nazareth. He opens up the Isaiah scroll. He reads the one about the becoming Messiah. And he says, by the way, that is me. Today, it's been fulfilled. Then if you go to Matthew chapter 28, it says what? He says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, every atom, every molecule, I have authority over. I know we live in a, in a world right now, we live in a culture where everybody's desperate to say, you know, everything is equal, all religions are equal, you do you, whatever works for you, whatever truth works for you, great. I know that's what it, we, we're under a lot of pressure to say that, but let me try an experiment with you. What if when I... When you guys showed up this morning, I started with, hey, welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Glad that you're all here. Um, you know, we're, we're a church. We're trying to live for the joy of the city. What if I said the way to do that is this? You need to know that I'm God, and you need to worship me. And if you follow me and worship me and think that I'm God, then everything's going to be good for you. What if I did that? And I said, hey, great. Thanks for coming. See you next week. What would you have to do if I said that to you? There's actually only three credible, possible uh, answers to that. One is this. I, Michael's a liar. Right? Michael is, is lying right now. He's deceiving people. Two, he's, he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He doesn't know what he's doing. But he's still deceiving people. Or three, Lord. And by the way, I'm, not, I, I'm actually not saying I'm Lord. <laughs> All right, this is, I'm trying to say that... When coming to Jesus, those are the only possible ways to respond to what he says about himself. And I think it's actually unlikely that he's a liar, because why? Because what he said and what the disciples say, they know it's going to lead to death, and it does. And very few people tend to lie to die. So some say, people say, well, well crazy. There, there actually have been instances where people have said that they were a God, and they had a following. That following was always pretty small, and it always tended to be with people who were of the type of impressionable minds that actually were willing to do that. What's unique about Jesus, his following was not small, and what's unique about him is he was able to get people who were least likely to follow him. First century Jewish individuals believed that God could not be man. It did not compute. It was not a category they could have. And the Greco-Roman world around them that had this view that the body was bad and the heavenly things were good would never fuse those two things together. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us with this. I'll tell you what you can't say. You can't say this. Jesus was a nice teacher. You can't just say that. You can't say, oh, you know, I like the idea of Jesus' ethics. I like the idea of all his good deeds. I just can't get behind the whole idea of him being the son of God. You can't do that. Because if somebody did what Jesus did to the person on the cross next to him, the thief on the cross, he looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You can't say, oh man, that guy's a nice guy. You can't. You have to either accept those words as true or fully reject them. You have to either crown him or kill him. He divides because he doesn't lead, leave the world with the option of either or.
There is no middle space here. In fact, here's the thing. If you try to have a little bit of Jesus, a little dab of Jesus, a little touch of Jesus, I think you're actually farther away from Jesus than somebody who actually outright rejects him because at least that person is treating Jesus as who he says he is. When you only take a little bit of him, you're not actually understanding the reality of what he is. So if Christmas is real, and I think we need Christmas is real, we need Christmas to be real because why? He can't be the comforter. He can't be the paraclesis. He can't be the one who comes alongside you unless he has the power to do so. He only has the power to do so if he is who he says he is. Only if Jesus is that does he have the ability to save and not just the idea of salvation. That means then you have to accept all of him. And I guess that's what I want to ask us. Will we? Can we? At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Another way to put this is like this. I heard it, I've heard it put this way. The sun is 92 million miles away, and today's cloudy, so don't do it. You're not, it's not going to Well, don't do this ever, but do not look at the sun. Because if you look at the sun, even though it's 92 million miles away, for too long, it'll burn your eyes out. And yet, are you telling me that the creator of that sun, what parts of him are you going to accept and what parts are you not? Nobody would do that, Right? Do you ask somebody who made the sun, who can burn your eyes out from 92 million miles away, do you say, I come into this part of my life, not that part of my life? No. You might not want Christmas, but Christmas is what you need because unless you have that, you can't have what Christmas delivers. And you can only have it if you're willing to accept all of it. Now, last point. Fine. Will you? Will we do that? Will we really have a real Christmas, not a fake Christmas? A few weeks ago, we took our kids to the South Street Seaport. There was this winter wonderland. It's being advertised everywhere. I don't know if you've seen it around. It's down at the South Street Seaport. Don't go. <laughs> because we went. And it looked good on paper and the advertisements and everything. But when you went there, the ice skating rink wasn't ice. It was plastic. And yet they had real, real skates. And so people were kind of shuffling along like this, trying to go. You know, People were try, trying to put a good face on it because they were duped as well. But it was all fake. It wasn't real. How do you not have a fake Christmas but a real Christmas? Let me give you three practical ways for it to be real in your life. Number one, see his presence in the absence. Go back to Simeon. See his presence in the absence. What I find interesting about this passage is the Holy Spirit is mentioned multiple times. And And yet we're not told. It's still kind of a mystery. Why does the Holy Spirit reveal to Simeon that he would see the Messiah. We're actually not told. What we are told about Simeon is this, is that he's devout and he's righteous. This is the first verse. He's devout and he's righteous. And so I don't think it's a huge leap to see Simeon coming every day to the temple with his expectations, with his absence, right? The consolation. When's this going to happen? When are we going to see it? And so he's hoping and he's, he's but, but he has a hole of absence in his life. And he's looking for deliverance, but it's not there. And what I find interestingly is that in the absence of his deliverance, what comes? 
Hands down, the hardest thing for me this year has been the absence of my father, um, who died a couple months ago. And it's, it, it's terrible, because every couple days, where I normally would call him, where I normally reach out to him, I can't. I want to access his wisdom. I want to access his heart, his encouragement, his kindness. And it stinks to realize over and over and over again, I can't have it. I know that I'm alone. I think you guys all have absences too. Things that you might have had but are now gone. Things that you wish that you did have but you never got. Things that never were and never will be. Success, maybe a love of your life, the applause, the approval, the money. And these concerns are real and they're around us. So I know I'm not unique. I'm, we all miss people, places, things. There's things in our life that there are these absences. Simeon was the same. And yet look at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings something into his life more than what he thought he needed. See, he thought he just needed the deliverance of Israel. What did the Holy Spirit offer? The deliverance of the entire world. So amazingly, the absence of the deliverance leads to the presence of something greater than the deliverance of, of Israel. And I think that's what we see here is that the Spirit always gives us more than we actually needed. And it always comes from our absences. For instance, the absence of my father, what I've realized over and over and over again, and it's only through the absences that I notice that the presence of the Spirit more. Because I only realized that when my dad was gone, that I was actually using him as a crutch. I was going to him instead of prayer that I was actually accessing, trying to get from my father, that I could actually really ultimately only get through Jesus. And I've called out more, I've needed him more, I've sought him more. And the truth is he was always there, the spirit was always there, but I just wasn't seeking him. What are the things that you, that you are been seeing, and because you're seeing those things, you're not actually seeing something else? See, that, the, the absence of that might be the very thing that you need. That you need that absence to actually see the presence of the Spirit that's actually more real in your life, but you couldn't see it without that absence. And it's now made me think, like, what are the, the loves and the sweetnesses and the joys and the beauties that, of, of Jesus that were always available to me that I haven't been able to see? That unless that absence happened, I wouldn't have actually begin that journey. How many insights would I, have I missed that I'm now regretting? Because I sought my father's insight, because I looked for Netflix comfort, because I was looking for words of acceptance for validation in my work instead of the Spirit. See, I think for everybody here, the absence of what you miss most might be the only way for you to really see the presence of Jesus. To give you an example, just one example. If you're struggling right now, if you're struggling with rejection, if you're struggling with resentment, which means you think that you deserve, and you probably do, what you're not actually getting, what you need most in, right now for you to know is the absence of that thing can only let you see the presence of Jesus more in your life. And that he was actually there all along. If you place Jesus at the center of your life, I promise you, his presence will not make the absences go away. They don't. I know. But the Spirit's comfort will spotlight Jesus in your heart. 
and will move us off of ourselves and our own needs and onto the cares and loves of other people. And that's the power to be able to do it. And nothing else in this world has that kind of power. I can guilt trip you, and yet you might move out and love other people for a little bit, but not long enough. You can guilt trip yourself. You can push yourself. You can say, I'm going to be a good person. That's what the world's trying to do. Trying to shame people into being good people. That's not going to work, but this will. That when we see that we have the Spirit of God revealed in Jesus, it shows us His presence even in the midst of the absence of a life. And that actually ironically and powerfully moves us and shows us the beauty that's available. That's the first thing to see, number one. Now, secondly, praise. Praise. Living, praising lives. Go back to Simeon. He realizes that the true meaning of Christmas is that the Savior was born. The Messiah had come. Look at, look at verse 28. That when he has Jesus in his arms, what does he do? He starts gazing at this baby boy. And to his amazement and his wonder, he's saying, I, I, the Messiah, I have, get to hold the Messiah in my arms. And what happens? It just leads to praise. He just breaks out into song. It's the first thing that happens. And so I think what's interesting is praise is actually practical. That's what this is showing me. That praise is the only thing left to do, right? Because what else is there left to do? Is it try hard and be good and then maybe God will accept you? That's not what this says, no. Is it, oh, let's look to the things that actually can't fulfill us. Let's look to the things that we are seeking instead of Christmas and striving and hoping in these applauses that won't actually ever fulfill. No. Or we could be like Simeon who desires just to get a glimpse of what God might be doing in this world and then that's enough for him to say, whatever else happens, I'm good. Notice it's not a change in his circumstances. And while some people think Simeon was old, but I've read some commentaries. We don't know. We don't know how much longer he lived. It's possible, since this is first century, he lived a long life, and in first century, that meant it was a hard life, filled with hurt and suffering, and yet he could still praise because he was gazing at Jesus. Will you gaze at Jesus? Will the gazes of Jesus in your life lead to praises of, of your life? Is your life a life of praise? What if we were so in a state of praise? And I'm not talking like fake happy-go-lucky. I meant like a deep, in-your-soul praise. And That's why we talk about joy. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is a deep-welling sense of space and contentment where no matter what else comes into your life, it can't ultimately end your joy because it's that deep and that fulfilling because we're gazing at Jesus, knowing and seeing the salvation brought joy and praise. And notice, he says, I can now see salvation. Salvation is not a concept. When he says, I see salvation, salvation was a person. And that person leads him to praise. And as we already talked about, he praises, and yet, verse 34 and 35, there's still pain. And a lot of us don't know how to hold those two things together. We say, I'll praise if I don't have pain, or if I have pain, then I won't praise. But the Bible constantly throws these two things together. How do you hold pain and praise together? The best example I can give you is a tumor. If you have a tumor and you don't cut that thing out, you, you won't get the pain of surgery, but you'll die a slow death. If you get surgery, it will hurt. And in fact, it'll hurt more than if you didn't in the moment. You'll, you'll experience pain and tears, and yet the cutting hurts, but it heals. Everyone experiences pain in life, but with Jesus, the hurt heals. 
because it points us to him, because he takes our apathy towards him, he takes our selfishness and our self-centeredness and the ways that we try to self-medicate and the ways that we try to use our desires and our needs that are killing us slowly, and he takes them all to the cross. He says, I'll die for those as well. And admitting this then allows us, even though sometimes it makes us feel worse, like when in confession, it's part of the process as we get be- to get better because we have the Savior, Redeemer, that we can live a life of praise in the pain. And so that means, what does this mean, to be practical? It means we don't have all the answers. We don't. But we have him. And that lets us sing in the sorrow. It lets us praise and gaze. And I want us to know, will we do that in our life? That's, that's the practical way. How do you have this? You have to see the absence. In the absences, you see his presence. But you also, secondly, you have to gaze and praise that's the mood of this text, and it's the mood and posture and potential if we actually see Christmas. Lastly, last practical point, know. Live knowing lives. Know what? You say, what do you need to know? Know of this. If Jesus entered into creation at Christmas, incarnation, if that's true, if he's the Lord Messiah, that's a nice, huge theological term to mean that salvation isn't just an individualistic salvation, that Simeon... When he was saying, I wanted salvation, he wanted the consolation of Israel, it was a corporate idea. If you go to the end of the Bible, you go to Revelation 21 and 22, and the end, what you find there is not this individualistic salvation between you and Jesus only. It's the redemption and restoration of all of creation. It's, it's, it's the new heavens and new earth fused. It's, it says in Revelation that every tear will be dried, every f- need fulfilled. And so the knowledge of that lets you access that power today to have joy knowing that one day wholeness and health will come and suffering and death will be destroyed and all things will be made new. That's the reality. That's the knowledge. A little while ago I talked about um, how I had a very vivid dream. This is probably weeks or months ago now. And the dream was I thought my dad was alive. And I'm I, I bringing it up because even last night I was thinking about it. Because it's that vivid. It, it was that vivid of a dream. That when I woke up, I was so happy. I was like, oh, I'm just going to call Dad. So I picked, I picked up my phone in the middle of the night. And, and then, you know, he wasn't. And it, it's still, it's still um, it's discombobulating for me because my dad used to tell a story about he used to have a dream. His family would die. And he would wake up. And he knew that they were alive. And it made... The, the joy of that overcame the hurt and made his joy even happier because the, the perceived absence led to the presence of more joy. And yet, I've struggled because when I wake up, the dream isn't over. The, you know, the nightmare is still there. And yet, I look at this text and I say, wait a second, if Christmas is real, if everything said will be untrue, and everything true will be made real again, That's what Jesus is promising. That's what the incarnation is saying. And that his birth promises not a different story. You're not going to get a consolation. You're not going to get a new... I think my dad used to say, he didn't get like a, a new family. He got his old family back, but better. That's what we're promised. And so I don't know what your story is. I don't know what nightmares you've been living. But he's going to use it to make your life more sweeter. And more beautiful. He did that on the cross. We saw the proof is he took the worst thing in the world in history. 
Jesus' own death, his own son's death, and turn into the redemption and restoration of the whole world. If he can do that, he can do that in your own life. And will you live in that knowledge? If Christmas is true and God has broken into creation, it's not going to stop. Some people say, how do I know that? Because if he has the power to break into creation, he has the power to, to see it through. And that means then whatever you're going through right now, you have the knowledge to know that that will be fixed ultimately. And this will feel like a bad dream at that time. We must live into that knowledge. We must root that at the center of our lives. He took the pain. He took the hurt. He turned the darkness into light. And that gift is offered to you. So before we end, will you make that joy real to you? Christmas is not just lights. It's not just presents. Those are all pointing to the real feast and the real redemption restoration of all of creation. And I want us to let that true meaning of Christmas be born in you today. See, praise, know. Like Simeon. And if we did, then we could say just like him, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, my eyes have seen your salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see Christmas. Not the sentimental stuff, but the earthly darkness and delight. That's why we can say our prayers of lament. Because we know that our laments will be answered. We can say how long, O Lord, because we know somehow in some way it won't be forever. Help us to see Christmas is the beginning of the end of death and suffering. Help us to know that the death is not just outside. It's in our own hearts. It's in the way we think about ourselves and others, and it leads to the more brokenness in ourselves and others. And yet you've come for that too. Let that move us into a state of grace and joy. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.